Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, Last week, if you remember, we continued in our series on For the Sake of the World, and we're talking about what it means to share the gospel with other people who God's put in our lives or with strangers, family members, and we've been moving along this series, and last week was a little bit different. If you weren't here, what we did was we surveyed the people, and we asked the people, hey, what what questions do you have about sharing the gospel with others? And what fears do you have when it comes to sharing Jesus with other people? And uh, Walt and I really, this series began out of sub conversations at Subway eating Italian subs, like in the spring, I think. We did not speak Italian. We ate Italian subs. <laughs> Ciao. Um, but really, this series was formed over table conversations uh, between Walt and I, and just our heart to see evangelism take place, uh, to share our faith with others, is truly a gift that's given to the church uh, uniquely. And it's really uh, just a, um, a privilege, really, to be the church in this era, in this day and age, and to carry the gospel, to carry the good news to other people. So when we ask, what questions do you have about sharing the good news? Walt and I really thought we would get one or two questions at most. Honestly, that was our expectation. Uh, people aren't really too interested, you know, it's just going to like you know, over our heads or whatever. You guys floored us. You guys, like every single person turned in questions. And so this morning, what we're going to do in sort of a conversational style is take, uh, wrestle with some of these questions together and take them in turn. And so I want to welcome up my good friend. He's a leader here at the church, leads our prayer for kids and youth every fourth Monday. Would you guys welcome Walt Blanchard. You go, buddy. You ready? <laughs> I told Walt this morning we just got to pretend like this is Subway, but we don't have the sandwiches, which is almost the best part. Um, so, firstly, so firstly, I wanted to, I wanted to start, start um, by addressing one of the questions that someone filled out, and... That question was a great question, and I wondered if anyone else here had that question. And the question was, how do I have a relationship with Jesus? Where, where do I start? Another person asked, how do I start a group with friends to share the gospel to them, with them? And I, I wanted to take that one real quick, if you don't mind. I think starting a relationship with Jesus is super simple. And sometimes we make it harder than it really needs to be. No matter where you're coming from, if if you are in a place 
where you want to connect with God, you recognize, you admit your need for God, and you believe on the person of Jesus, that he was who he said he was, that he died on the cross to forgive your sins, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you confess your sin before him. All you need to do is receive that grace in your life. And that's how you start a relationship with God. Now, maintaining a relationship with God is a whole other story. And none of us in this room have arrived, right? And this daily thing of, like, opening ourselves to the presence of God with as much grace as we're afforded, and just saying, here I am, God, I want to know you. Every morning, just saying, God, I want to know you. I trust you. I trust you're the same today and tomorrow that you were yesterday. You're faithful to me, Jesus. And continuing that relationship, that's how you maintain and thrive in your relationship with God. And I know that's not a super deep kind of theological answer, but just from a foundational, fundamental level, opening yourself to the person of Jesus, the risen Jesus, every day, and saying, here I am, Jesus, here I am, I want to know you, is where you start. So, well, what do you think about this one? Somebody asked this, how, how do we ask questions that lead to conversations about faith? How do we introduce the subjects so it's genuine, so it's relevant? How, how do we do that? What have you seen in your kind of, kind of life experience? I was thinking about this last night. Um, the Bible was written basically in a deistic culture, um, Old Testament, New Testament. Everybody had a belief in some sort of a God, maybe lots of them or... Uh, Quite often, in Old Testament, there was at least a uh, um, Yahweh was present, and then we get to Jesus, and, and most of the Jews that he was talking to believed in Yahweh. Um, and throughout church history, throughout through world history, up until about the mid 1700s, everybody had a, a belief in a God. And it wasn't until, quote unquote, the enlightening, it's probably more like the darkening, <laughs> where the idea of atheism and agnosticism, which is there may be a God, but he's not knowable, crept into culture. And now, at least in the West, um, most that's pretty much the air we breathe. And most people around you, unless they grew up in church, and even if they did, uh, up here it's Catholic, when I was in South Carolina it was Baptist, but um, God isn't even in the mindset anymore. It's, he's not even in the picture. And you bring up God, and they're like, eyes cross, and what are you talking about? That kind of thing. And um, so for a lot of people, you may be, I may be the only person in their life that brings God into the conversation. And I've thought a lot about over the years just in working with a lot of non christians I'm the only believer I work with at work. There's about 50 of us there at work, and I'm the only Christian right now. Hopefully it'll be more, but um, we've had some conversations. But a lot of them, God just isn't even in their mental grid. 
And especially in an area where there may be prosperity, it, it even um, is less so. So we need creative ways to bring him into the conversation. And it's, it's not as straightforward. It's, it, we're not even to the point, you know, do you want to accept Jesus? We're not even to the point of, do you believe he died on the cross? Or the Bible is just a book, you know. And so it's a matter of setting up ways of interacting with them, introducing the whole idea of God and that they're accountable to um, somebody beyond us. And I've thought about relationships, guys that I work with. There was, I have a, um, a salesman, he was, we were talking about getting older and he's, he's 10 years younger than I am. And I said, well, when I die, you'll catch up with me. And <laughs> he said, uh, well, hopefully that won't, you know, I don't, and he said, I don't fear dying. And uh, it's just a process, you know, going through sickness or something. And I said, well, the issue is what happens after you die? And he looks at me and he goes, uh-uh, we're not going there. <laughs> Turned around and walked off, you know. But it's a start, right? I suspect it kind of bugs him a little bit, you know. And he's, he, our relationship has changed a little bit. It's not been bad. We still interact. We have a good time. We, we, we work well together. But every time he sees me now something's going to go off because God's going to use that. So you're, so you're, you're saying uh, to, ask to ask questions is probably the way to begin conversations about sure. Jesus. Questions, uh, asking, most people want to talk about themselves. Almost everybody does. There's a few exceptions. Some are like pulling teeth. But most people have no problem talking about what they think or what they believe, what they do. So I ask a lot of questions. Where are you from? Do they have church background? Did you go, did you, was your family religious growing up? What do you think about God? That's a pretty straight, it's so generic. We're not even bringing Jesus into it yet. And I've asked people that. What do you think about God? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> End of story. Maybe, maybe not. But at least it begins the initial conversation. And then the other thing I would just throw this out real quick is if you're in a work situation, because there's a big difference between sharing the gospel with people on the street, street evangelism, quote, unquote, and people that you work with and work every day. It's a different world, your family members, whatever. And I would encourage you to set up the reality that you're a believer right as soon as you can in the relationship. Don't wait 10 years down the road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do something to establish that you're a, a person of faith, even if it's kind of generic. So they're not surprised when you bring Jesus into the conversation. It's not quite so shocking when they go, because everybody at work knows I'm a believer, and they tease me about it. There's a couple guys constantly making Jesus jokes all the time. And that's okay. I, that's not my problem. It's Jesus' problem. <laughs> so he can handle it, you know. But it's... It, it makes it easier to bring Jesus into the conversation if he's already in the air, so to speak, in, in that relationship. So ask questions. Th look at what they're into, what movies they like to see, what sports they, whatever, find something, and ask questions related to it. And hopefully God will, because that's his gig, he will open up doors to, to bring the gospel into that situation, or at least begin, talk, begin the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, think the question, the question of, relevancy of relevancy and how to do this in a genuine kind of way um, could vary depending on who you're sharing with. I was telling you about our time in Chicago, and we lived in a neighborhood in Chicago um, 
when our uh, daughter was first born, so this would have been 2008, and we lived on the south side of Chicago in a place called Hyde Park, a uh, very multi multicultural uh, neighborhood, uh, prominent members of the, uh, the black community have come out of uh, Hyde Park in south side Chicago, and just a wonderful, wonderful uh, melting pot of people. Anyway, the this the town, the city of Hyde Park, the neighborhood of Hyde Park, also um, hosts the University of Chicago. And for those of you who know the University of Chicago, you know that it's kind of like uh, an Ivy League school of the Midwest. It's very, very, uh, very smart place, very intellectual place. I think the University of Chicago boasts more Nobel Prize winners than any university on the planet, Oxford included. And so it's, and so it's a just a very intellectually high place. place. One of our, One dearest, of our dearest friends there, Kristen, was an evolutionary biologist and just one of the most genuine uh, Jesus followers I knew. And how she like maintained in both of those worlds, I'll never know, but she did it. And she loved the people around her. So the story is this, that the University of Chicago will, and they're known for this, it's like a known thing, they will go out of their way to recruit and attract and give scholarships to socially awkward people. It's like a marker. They know that if this person is smart and they're socially awkward, they want them for the University of Chicago. And so all day... The students at the University of Chicago, for the majority, for the better part of them, well, they're like this, you know. It's a cold Chicago day, and we're just going to chemistry. We're going to calculus. You know, I'm getting my master's. I'm getting my PhD. And, you know, I am a little extroverted, and so there's only so much of that that I could take. And so on the corner of 55th Street one morning near Starbucks, as we were doing this routine, I said, I've had it. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I turned to one of the guys next to me. His name was Steven, and I I found out later, uh, and I turned to him and I asked, hey man, what'd you have for breakfast today? And the look on his face, what are you doing talking to me? Well, that question of what did you have for breakfast today led to Stephen um, joining the Hyde Park Vineyard, getting in, involved with our small group, becoming a leader at Hyde Park Vineyard, and this whole story opened up just from that one question of what did Stephen have for breakfast that morning. And so I, you know, I thought, hey, I might be onto something here. And so every time I had a red light and I was at an intersection, I asked people around me what they had for breakfast in the morning. And it was more effective than any like, hey, can I pray for you today? Uh, hey, do you know Jesus? Just the simple question, and then really waiting to see what they would say in response to that question. And seeing relationships form like that was really powerful for me because it just came from the simple thing of like asking somebody what they had for breakfast. Um, and I think the I think the important thing to remember when we're talking about listening and asking others who don't yet follow Jesus, asking them questions, is that you come along, um, you don't know where in the stream, let's call it, the stream of their life, you don't know at what point you come along in. 
Right. right. Is that kind of at the heart of it? Do you want to speak to that a little bit? The um, average person has seven encounters with the gospel before they get saved, at least in the United States. And I thought, well, sometimes we're number one, sometimes we're number three, occasionally number five. Once in a while, you get to be number seven. And I don't know where I'm at in that. Um, do you have the Ingalls? Did we? Yeah. Can you put that up? Do you have the Ingalls scale? It's, it should be the next slide. There it is. This actually, I heard about this originally from John Wimber back in the early 80s. Um, it came out of a these guy, guy from Wheaton College named Engel. And basically, he talked about how where people are at in their interest towards Christ. Down at the bottom is number one, there's no awareness of God. And then some awareness, and then they move up to scale. And it's not like you look at people and go, oh, they're a number seven, or no, they're a number 13, or whatever. No, it's not that. But rather, it's an awareness in our own hearts and minds that different people are at different places in their journey. And a lot of people aren't even on the journey at all. They're down at one. And, and I'd say a lot of the people you're going to run into are at one right now. There's something going on with them, but they're at one. And uh, it's helpful to kind of realize that people are at different places. And so our approaches are going to need to be a little bit different depending on the situation. One of the things I was thinking about is these, I remember walking by these guys, they were um, big. Um, weightlifting, they had their motorcycles out, they could like make me into fence posts with one tunk, you know. 100% American beef, right? And I just, I felt impressed from the Lord to go over and talk with them about Jesus, and I'm like, I'm gonna die. And so I went through this process, I'm like, okay, and this is literally what I do, and I still do this. I carry within me the kingdom of God, right? If you know Jesus, the king of the universe, when we sing about on Sundays, dwells in me all the time. He is reality. If they don't know him, they're going to hell. That's a reality. I may be the opportunity for them to hear about the truth. What they do to me is irrelevant. What's important is Christ the King and their eternity with Him. I, I go through that soul talk, that self-talk, because fear wants to rise up within us and say, I just, I'm too afraid to talk to Him. And I have to talk myself into it, in essence, the boldness to be able to initiate a conversation. And I go through that process almost every time. Some form of it. So I'd encourage you to, to, to think in those terms because you have a fear. When you're going to go talk to somebody, you're like, they're going to think I'm weird. I don't know what to say. I can't answer the questions. All this stuff, just, you know, the enemy's real good at it. Go through the process of they're somewhere here. I don't know where they're at. I carry the king. It's his Holy Spirit. It's his gig. This is Jesus' gig, Right? It's his thing. He came for this purpose. So I'm not, it's not my thing. It's his thing. And, and they need him. And if they don't, they face eternity separated from him in hell. And through that process, my, usually my heart and my mind flip, and the boldness shows up to at least begin the conversation. And then God usually takes over at that point. So what you're saying, uh, in essence, is that we can, we can rest... I mean, this is hel it's a helpful visual as we go, as we are committing ourselves to asking 
folks' questions and learning, listening, listening to people, really listening to their story. It's a helpful visual to have to say, okay, they had said that they grew up uh, at church, and it was a really traumatic experience for them. Okay, so that helps me learn something about where they're coming from and how, then, matching up, I can share the good news with them. Uh, where, where did you grow up? Okay, I grew up in Ohio. Did you go to church much when you're a kid? No, we never went. Okay, there may be a one or a two. You see, you start to learn from people by listening. And I think, well, like, we, we kind of covered this last week, um, sharing about the difference between monologue and dialogue. And how dialogue is just far superior, you know, to listen, to really understand the other person should be our aim. Is this helpful for you guys and like how, how to ask questions or how to start conversations about Jesus? Um, There's a young guy that he's, he's kind of a philosophical oriented kid. He's in the mid-20s. And one day I asked him, so what's your philosophy of life? And he's kind of nihilistic. And it was like, there's no hope. And then he looks at me and says, what's yours? <laughs> and so it gave me, and we talked about Jesus a little bit. He says, well, I respect that. You know, I gave him a book. We talked some. You know. But it's just, that's kind of a generic question. And because I wouldn't ask that of everybody. But the way his mindset, I've known him, worked with him long enough, I could tell that's kind of how he clicked. That's where he thought. So it opened up a door to be able to, you know, ask him something that was appropriate for him. There's other people I could ask that, and they would look at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kaylee, for putting that slide up there. Moving on, a lot of you had similar questions about how uh, to talk to others without other people feeling pressured. Um, you all had questions about navigating negativity. Uh, those who've turned from the church or you, you expressed in your questions of a fear of being doubted or criticized. Um, I watched a really interesting video a couple days ago on the earliest depictions of Jesus. And I wanted to kind of springboard off of something that Walt said here um, a, minute, a minute ago. So watch this video, it's really interesting, um, talking about the earliest depictions of Jesus. I mean, we're talking back to like the 6th, 5th, 4th, 3rd centuries. You know, this is like, um, the earliest one is like 200 years after Jesus ascended. And so really early art, early artwork. And the... The documentary guy gave a caveat at the end because the earliest known depiction or drawing, you could call it, of Christ is not really um, a depiction so much of him. Um, so, so the earliest depiction the early, that they think that they have of Jesus is this, you guys. Listen to this. It is a meme, if you will, in the Roman Empire, memes were, have been around much longer than the internet, or you could call it graffiti, and it's a depiction of some Roman citizen, I think his name is Adamus or something, are you familiar with this? And 
There is a picture of Jesus on the cross with a horse's head instead. You've seen it? Yeah. And the caption reads, Adamus comes to worship his God. You know, so the intention there is, you should be thinking if you follow Jesus, um, this is nothing new. To be made fun of, to be criticized, to be doubted, has been around since Jesus' time. And if they, folks who didn't yet follow Jesus, uh, rejected him, they will reject you in some way. Your system of thinking now has been changed or transformed so that you, the way that you view the world, the way that you view yourself, sometimes we fail to understand how uh, drastically Jesus changes us or how drastically different Jesus' kingdom is from the kingdom of the world. Like when he comes into a life, he completely changes our life. It's completely different. And so being made fun of, or being rejected, or doubted, or criticized, or ostracized. One of you had a question about the fear of ostracization, being, being um, put off in a corner for following Jesus, is nothing new. And I say that, hopefully as an encouragement to you. That this is something, an element that's been a part of who the church is for thousands of years. You're not alone in it. All that to say, you're not alone in it. Um, so how do you do it? How do you, how do you navigate uh, negativity? I think the, off the top, just a, just a straight answer as you navigate negativity is to pray. I know, again, oversimplified. But to pray for insight, pray for wisdom. Do you want to talk a little bit to that? How do you navigate negativity? Well, our message is inherently conflicting. They killed Jesus. Remember that, right? He fed them, healed them, did all the stuff he had taught with them, and he, they killed him. That was part of God's plan, but that was them that did it. And at the end of all the thousands he impacted, there was 120. Us, really. I mean, yeah, us, we did. really. We put him up there. But yeah. all the thousands he impacted in the few years that he walked on the earth, there's 120 left. So just remember that. And he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And so we do need to realize that we come into this with a message that people, the flesh hates it. Satan hates it. Get used to that. You need to just say, own up, man up, woman up, in case may be, and accept the reality that you're not going to be everybody's buddy, you're not going to be everybody's friend, they're not going to invite you to the parties, they're not going to tell you their jokes, because Christ is inherent, that a message we carry grates against everything in the world. I have to accept that, and you do too. There's no way around it. You're not going to soft code it. You're not going to make it easy. It's reality. It's true. And that's why we do it, because it's the truth. But it is a reality, okay? Just get used to that. We, in the West, we've been kind of used to a kind of a religious milieu that hasn't been so hostile. That's changing rapidly. And you're going to find it a whole lot more. So I think right out of the box, we need to realize this is it. 
I read a thing yesterday, or I think it was this morning, in a book by a guy who is an evangelist with Crew, used to be Crusade, and he was speaking at a conference, uh, it was a symposium, I guess, with about 40 other religious leaders of all sorts of different faiths, and they were trying to, we were talking about how to get along. And he's like, this is not going to work. And because <clears throat> um, Christianity is inherently proselytizing. We want to share the gospel, right? That's just part of who we are. If you're a Buddhist, nah, not so much. And um, after the, it was a pretty intense, kind of tense, unheated uh, at times, conversations and stuff. And, um, and uh, the, this evangelist said, I, the message we carry is going to cause conflict. And the a Buddhist priest said, you know, I agree with that. Whenever I put up a Buddhist thing on campus, I get no reaction. If an evangelical, you know, Christian evangelical group puts up a, a billboard or something for an event, all sorts of conflict. Mm-hmm. That's, true. That's true. So get used to it. You're just going to have to look at your heart, look at God, and go, okay, I accept this as part of what it means. That doesn't mean we have to mean, mean we don't mean, we don't, doesn't mean we're to be ornery and obstinate and right. they're going to hate me, I'm going to make sure they do, <laughs> kind right. of a thing, you know. Right. But, so we come at it with love, but realize they're not going to like you back. They're yeah. not going to like the message. So start with that right out of the box, okay? Yeah. I, I want to add to that that sometimes, not always, but sometimes that is more of an invitation than it is a critique on you or a criticism on Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes invitations can come disguised as criticisms. Let's sit in that for a bit. Sometimes invitations can come disguised as criticisms. I've been in scenarios before where I've offered to pray for someone, whether it's on the street, stranger, or uh, acquaintance, or somebody, and um, it's met with sort of a sarcastic response about, oh, do you really think that's going to work, or, you know, something like that. And sometimes there could be a little Elijah thing happening there, like, okay, all right, you want to, are, are you, are you trying to, like, go to a showdown with God here? Let me pray for you, and you'll see what happens, and then you pray for him, and you see God move, and, and heal them, you know, God loves to show off his goodness in that sense, so sometimes invitations come disguised as criticisms. The other thing I wanted to hone in on is, um, how do we share it without other people feeling pressured? And I, I think that's a genuine question to ask. And, and I wanted to answer that in, um, in the shape of, like, putting the shoe on the other foot. Meaning that when you walk around, just in your everyday life, um, and say somebody is trying to sell you something, you are pretty well aware of your boundaries with that salesperson, right? You know, if, if they kindly approach you and they're like, hey, um, I've got this thing and do you want it? And they're kind of laid back and chill about it and asking you. Um, you're more receptive to that, right? You're, you're less like, hey, get out of my face. Like, what is it? If they were to come up to you and they were like, Buy, buy, buy the set of encyclopedias now. now. Does anybody sell encyclopedias anymore? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> buy, this buy this today. Buy this today. And they're pressuring. What, what, your first reaction is to be defensive and put up a wall. Um, the gospel doesn't need any salespeople. I will say that as a caveat. But as you approach people 
to, this is, and this is why we say asking questions and listening is such like the way, dialogue is like such the superior way. And as you ask them questions, I, I, think, I think people know, people know, you know, and they'll let you know. People will let you know. If they are curious, there'll be an invitation there for you to ask more questions, to know deeper things. If, if they're feeling pressured, they're going to let you know. And that's a good thing, because then you, then you know, you can kind of like let off the gas a little bit and pump the brake a little bit and be like, okay, um, I see you're not, you're not ready to have this conversation. That's totally cool. I totally get that. Don't be surprised if in a month or two, if it's somebody you know, don't be surprised in a month or two if I don't come back and ask you how you're doing with God. You know, just something as simple as that and walking away. One of my friends asks me um, the other day, how do I deal with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus, who's in my life, and every time I bring up Jesus or offer to pray with them, it's like a sarcastic remark. And I said, you know, just in who I am and knowing who you are, I would like bypass that. I'd be like, yeah, that's so funny. If you knew that person, had a rapport with that person, yeah, that's great. Probably won't work. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray. I call that. I call that my friend Tammy. That's how she did it, and I think I'll take that to for the rest of my life. The Tammy way of evangelism is just to go for it. Just to go for it, and people will let you know when they feel pressured. People have a good sense of what is um, kind of a boundary for them, just just like you do. Is that helpful to know? And I think to you, I've asked people, can I share this with you? And they'll say yes or no. If they say no, okay, we don't. Red light, green light idea that there's a, you ask a little bit, say a little something, and see what kind of response you get. And if it's negative or a lot of resistance, just back off. But if there's like a question back or a comment that opens up dialogue, then you go forward a little bit more. Prepare for long-term relationships with this. Years. There's a guy at work yesterday, long term, I've known Pete for a long time, he's a customer. Um, his son suddenly died six weeks ago, about late 30s, and they're just devastated. And Pete and I have talked about church, religion some, goes to Catholic Church. He lives over on the east side. And um, so I said, how are you doing? And he's not good. And I said, how's your wife? She's putting up a good front, but not good. And I said, has church been helpful? He says, I don't know this. I'm really questioning my faith right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, let's get together. So we're kind of working on that. So it's a long term. I've known Pete for 10 years. And we've had enough conversations. He knows where I'm coming from. But now there's a crisis point. Something's happened that's pushed them beyond their, his normal banter. And if we can be invested in people's lives enough that when the crisis point comes, we've already established the reality of our life in God. They may not know the details, and that's okay. When the crisis point comes, there's a hunger and there's an openness to go, okay, we need to look into this now. Maybe they're open for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and the cool thing is, is like, that's probably, I just had the thought, like, that's probably not happening anywhere else in their lives. And so you, as ordinary, everyday Jesus follower, 
are already, because you've planted the seed and done, uh, done the hard work of asking questions and really getting to know the person and establishing that foundation, that they, there's a trust there for you to care for their soul because that's already, that's already happened. So then when the crisis happens, you're able to offer um, not solution, but just a listening ear that really cares, which is probably not happening anywhere else in their life. Um, many of you had questions about how can we effectively spread the word of God from a place of love and unity, regardless of the person's background? That's a great question. And it, and it went hand in hand with a, uh, a couple of other questions. How, how can we do that? Uh, regardless of background, um, in a world of hatred and distrust, how do we share it in a loving way? Like how do we do? How do we do that? Um, in Scripture, Paul writes in Ephesians that we're to present the gospel in love, and I think this series has been chocked full of that. I hope that you've heard that in this series, um, and also in First Peter, we're called to share. In a world of hatred and distrust, in 1 Peter 3.15, we're called to share this good news of Jesus with, get this, gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. You know, one of you ask a question, why? Why share, this was like, this was a stark moment for Walt and I when we read this question. Why share the gospel when the world hates each other? That one, man, that one smacked us in the face. Why share, why share the gospel? Why even share? There's a futility, I think, in that question that begs for just a, a gospel answer. In, in answering that question, as a believer, is it true that people hate each other right now on the planet? Yeah. You don't need to look too far to see that. But aren't those places the very places that the gospel needs to come to the most? Like the light shines the brightest in the darkest places. So, so why, why share, the share the gospel when people, when people just hate each other? You know, the, the, world the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Why should I even pray for people? Why should I share the gospel? Like, if they're, people are going to die anyway. No, no, no. You get to partner with Jesus. In this grand narrative, especially in the places where people hate one another, it's there. It's that, it's that very intersection, intersection that the, that's what the gospel is for. So I just want to encourage you not to give up. Don't give up. Yes, the world hates each other. Yes, um, families, tribes, cities, nations are at war. The nations, the scriptures, scriptures say the nations are warring. There's just inherent war, violence in, in the hearts of men and women. And those places are the exact places that the gospel thrives. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks yeah. about the light of the world. You don't put a, a bush, you know, 
You don't put a light under a bushel. You put it on a lamppost. The gospel is designed to operate in the darkness. It's designed to. That's the whole purpose and function of it. Jesus came from a place of glory and beauty into a cesspool on purpose. That's what it's for. That's what we're for. That's what he called us to. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls the first disciples and he says, what does he say to them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's his first words out of the box to the disciples. was, follow me, hang out with me, and then I'm going to make you fishers of men. And at the end of Matthew, what's he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. The beginning and the end of Jesus' ministry was, hang out with me, and I'm going to suck you into my ministry, my life. I'm going to pass on what... I'm doing, and you're going to carry it on. That's what Acts is all about, and that's what we're here for. And I, did, I, did, I wanted to remind them, too, Jesus' words when, as to the why. You know, why, why share the gospel when the world hates each other? Jesus says in the book of John that he, he didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. So Jesus thought that there was something inherently worth saving here on the face of the earth. And so you go in the same spirit. You don't go to condemn people. I don't think anyone here has this frame of mind where they're like, you know what would be great? You know what would be great is if I could just walk out the door of church today and just condemn everybody I see. Like no one's, like no one's thinking that, right? You want to um, love people. You want to like be kind to people. Your heart's being changed by Jesus. You're still in process. We all are. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And so you go in the same spirit. There's something out there, something out there that Jesus felt was worth saving. Um. And so, when it comes to sharing the gospel in a world of hatred and distrust, as Walt was kind of like hinting at before we take off here, is that, um, you know, Jesus is just asking you to be a faithful witness. The pressure is not on you to save anyone. Jesus didn't ask you to save anybody. And I hope that's a relief for you to hear this morning, like the weight is lifted off of your shoulders, that you don't have to carry this like um, undue expectation. It's not Jesus who puts that expectation on you. Like he's not, he's not like sitting there at the Father's right hand being like, man, Angelo really could have gotten that one and he didn't. Gosh. You know, he's, you know he's, he's, not, he's not up there like, gosh, man, I put them right in Julie's hand and she didn't come through. Like, Jesus isn't thinking that about us, you know? There's not this expectation for you to save people. Jesus is plenty capable to save the lot of us, I believe. 
Um, so as we so close, as we close um, there are some yes-no yes, no questions that I just wanted to read really quickly. Is there a wrong time to share your faith in Jesus? Yes and no. Yes and no is the answer. Yes and no. If someone is like, please, I don't want to hear about this right now. And you're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they're like, please, I thought I told you. Stop. And you're like, Jesus, Jesus. That probably, that probably is the wrong time to share the gospel with that person. Is there ever a wrong time to share the gospel? No. No, there's not. Yes, there is, and no, there's not. No, there's not. Share the gospel um, liberally and urgently. Let people know the treasure that you found. Don't keep the treasure locked up to yourself. Open your heart to share with other people the treasure that you found. Is there an expectation of trying to save someone or leading them to accept Jesus when sharing your faith? We've answered that one. And I just want to speak lastly to the fear of ostracization. There we go. Of being ostracized, of being put in a corner or something for sharing your faith. And I want to share to encourage you as we move into ministry time um, that you're never truly alone. Jesus always walks with you. And so though it might feel like at work you're being um, punished or you're being um, put in a corner for following Jesus, you're so different, like why do you have to bring that stuff up, we're at work after all, those kind of comments, um, this way of like singling you out because you're a Christian, because you follow Jesus. I want to encourage you with the reality that you are never, ever, ever, ever alone. That Jesus is with you even there. And how many of you know that Jesus had insults hurled at him as he was dying on the cross for you and I? In his weakest, most vulnerable moment, Jesus didn't have a wonderful job and a car and a place to lay his head. He was being murdered and yet still had insults being hurled at him. And so if there's anybody, anybody on the planet who can understand what you're going through, it's him. Would you agree? It's him. It's him. 